Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Go tell and Go tell and Go tell and Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And I'm very excited to say that joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 89 is composer for TV, film and games, including the song you just heard. It's Go Tell Aunt Rhodey from Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. And we have with us, yes, Michael A. Levine. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Glad to be there. Here. <laughs> Here and uh, live with us. Uh, well, not actually, because this show is going out next Wednesday. But uh, but yeah, it's great to have you on. But well, you and I are mm, alive, even are, if even if this is the past, then people are listening to. That is true enough. And there's a little connection here because a couple of days ago, I I completed a recording which our listeners won't have heard yet with uh, Kenny Young or Kenneth C M Young from uh, Tear Away, and of course he he worked on that with Brian Oliveira and. The game we just heard your first video game composition from Resident Evil Seven also features the work of Brian Oliveira. So fabulous! Yeah, I'm hoping Brian will be on uh, on the show soon. I've asked I've asked Kenneth to uh, to tap him up for me. So, um, but uh, Resident Evil Seven there. So we've heard heard your contribution, your amazing contribution that has become kind of the de facto main theme, hasn't it, to uh, to Resi Seven. Um, which I understand from interviews you've done that you weren't expecting it to be quite so kind of front and center and synonymous with the new game. It was a contribution rather than a please write us this really important kind of theme tune. Um, yeah, I think that was my misunderstanding. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't think that it, there was any, uh, but, uh, you know, it, one of the, the challenges of this 
and uh, your other friend can tell you about this as well, is that you know, you're dealing with uh, creatives who live in Japan, mm. and not only is there um, a language uh, difference, but there are also conventional and cultural differences. And I, I really feel grateful that uh, one of my agents is Japanese, and right. so he was able to, um, Koyo is his name, and, he, and Koyo was able to not just translate in real time for me with the, the, the clients, but also explain what the, the thinking was. And, but sometimes some things got lost. Mm, right. So tell us um, about uh, Go Tell Art Radio. I know you've been on the interview circuit recently. I can tell from your Twitter timeline, um, and I'm sure you've had to explain <laughs> this many times. But, uh, but uh, many, of our, many of our listeners will have played Resident Evil 7 by now, so they'll be familiar with the song. So what's the, what's the story behind it from your point of view? Well, the story in general was that that they wanted something that would be recognized the world over, but they wanted something traditional, and that's pretty hard to find. Mm. Um, one of the accidents of my upbringing was I was born in Japan. My father was a right. uh, a spoke Japanese and was a, a scholar of Japanese labor relations. He was an economist. And uh, so I was born in Tokyo. I'm what's called an Edo-ko. That means you know, Edo is the old name for Tokyo and yeah. Ko is born. And so I did not grow up in Japan. I went there a few times as a kid, but I did grow up with a lot of Japanese culture in my life. And one of the things that I was familiar with was that they had a song called Musunde, which is a uh, song that um, kids learn in kindergarten typically. And it's... Uh, it is the same melody as Go Tell Aunt Rhody. Um, and there, okay. there is an, there's an interesting historical reason for this, which is that the song, uh, the song, it, it, no one's quite sure it was it, where it originated, although the first recorded use of it is in a French opera in the mid-1750s, but it's believed to be older than that. And uh, it had different lyrics, and then it found its way to England, and then from there the United States, and then from there to Japan, because when Japan had a what was called the Meiji Restoration in the 1870s, where they were, began introducing, among other things, universal education, they brought in American school teachers, and they brought with them their music. So most Japanese people believe that Musunde is a traditional Japanese folk song as did Capcom. They were shocked wow. to find out there was an American version of it. Okay. So, um, and, and here you have something that involves, you know, the old gray goose is dead. All I had to do was change it to everybody's dead and suddenly, you know, it worked. I see. Yes, I saw you mentioned that the the title, although we know it uh, from the from the soundtrack as Go Tell Aunt Rhody, is also, you referred to it as Everybody's Dead. Yeah, uh, just because to distinguish it from the folk song. I mean, there's also in... I wrote original verses for the song as well, um, yeah. and and not all of that was used in the game because they just felt like it kind of went on and on. But um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was they were original verses that were based on the storyboard that I received for the the, the game that explained what was happening with it. The, the, the game wasn't finished at the point I wrote the the song. Yeah. I see, and uh, and excellently, excitingly, we have uh, we have a previously unreleased extended version uh, for, at the end of the show, which also also features a different vocalist who we'll talk about later. Uh, Great, because I've 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 looked her up. 
Um, but I am also interested to hear about uh, the work that you did with Jordan Rain on the on the uh, on the version from the game. How how did you find her? Well, uh, the original vocalist who we will talk about later is uh, named Mari, and Mari's a great singer, but she has a kind of lighter, prettier tone. Yeah, and and the and we kind of tried to rough her up, but it didn't quite work. And um, the clients really felt like we needed someone who had a, an edgier, more uh, scarier sound, to put it bluntly. Yeah. And so, uh, but they were very, very secrecy conscious. And so it, it's like, great, go find us um, a, a, you know, a fabulous, unique singer, but don't tell anybody what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And so I put up a notice that I thought was very obscurely written looking for a singer, you know, with, and I sort of described the qualities, didn't say what the project was, didn't say anything other than contact me. And I put it on a composer's bulletin board that right. is from composers centered in Los Angeles. Well, it had been up maybe four hours when they called Koyo and said, oh, he's got to take it down. People will figure it out. It's about Resident Evil and the secrecy will be blown. And I mean, if it, I, maybe, I mean, I'm always a lot less paranoid than I should be. But um, it, fortunately, in that remarkably short period of time, the word did get out. We ended yeah. up having something like 100 submissions. And uh, Jordan was the one that we liked the best. And she did a fabulous job. Amazing voice. So uh, New Zealand-born, uh, UK-based vocalist. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Not far from you. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, and you also, I understand, uh, you are, uh, according to your Wikipedia, I don't know whether this is true. I, I'd like it to be true. Uh, you have been described by a, uh, one of, uh, a member of one of the many, many incarnations of uh, prog uh, outfit, yes, as the Jimi Hendrix of the violin. Uh, and you've worked with uh, Joe Jackson, Lenny Kravitz, Marianne Faithful, among others. Uh, and that is your, your, as with Kenneth Young, uh, your, your main instrument is, is your, is your, your fiddle as it were. Um, but I understand that on this particular track, you deployed a, uh, I guess it's like a, a, a deeper sounding violin called a chiola. Yeah. The, the chiola is really, um, a, a, an, an octave viola would be, I guess, the t technically correct term for it. I use the term chiola because it's a cello register. Yeah. Um, and, but it is something I can put under my chin. And, um, there are some people who double on violin and cello, but the physicality of them are, are quite different. It's yeah. as different as playing, uh, violin and guitar. Mm. And so it really is, um, which I also play some guitar, but I play better guitar than I play cello. So for me to have something I can put under my chin that is in the cello register is great. Give me a second. I'm going to run across the room and I'll get it and I'll show you. It's right there in the room. So I don't, I don't know if you can hear me, but this is um, just to give you an example. Uh, this is what uh, the low string on the chiola sounds like. Wow. So that's that's not a typical of uh, what you would expect from a violin. No, it is not. No. So I used it a lot. Uh, I used it both for musical purposes, but I also used it for. You'll hear sounds in the game that are like, and you know, sort of these kind of moaning and groaning sounds, mm. and and the chiola was perfect for it. Oh, fantastic! Is that the very instrument there that we hear in the game? It is indeed. Wonderful, magic, uh, and. 
superbly enough, um, you have also selected some uh, some other tunes for us from uh, the, the Resident Evil canon, the Biohazard history, including some from Seven and a couple from some uh, other games in the series as well. So uh, perhaps you could uh, tell us what it is first about Kill or Be Killed uh, from uh, from Resident Evil 7 that, uh, that moved you to bring it to our attention here. Well, first of all, I, I think I should give a proper disclaimer, which is that I, because I listened to one of your previous um, podcasts and and went, oh my gosh, these people actually know what they're talking about. Uh oh. <laughs> and um, <laughs> After and, a fashion. and I am remarkably uh, uh, ignorant of the. Uh, uh, the history of these games and uh, the history of the music in the games. So uh, I, I sort of picked some things almost at random and said, "Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that." That's because absolutely I knew, excellent. You know, so it, I don't have the kind of uh, knowledge that um, most of the the folks uh, do that uh, come on your show. Um, but uh, having said that, um, uh, l- let me. Um, remember, Killer Be Killed, one of the things that I liked about it was that it had this, these kind of Bernard Herrmann-like string clusters. I don't mm. know if you're Mayor Bernard Herrmann. Yes, it's, it's yes. one of the great, uh, arguably the father of modern film scoring. Yeah. Um, and he scored, uh, uh, oh, uh, Vertigo and North by Northwest and other thrillers, but... I'm thinking more of his score for, say, um, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, right. which is just really wonderful use mm. of string textures. And um, and then there's there's these uh, vocal textures in it that are kind of ligety, like ligety is a, a, a Eastern European composer whose work was featured in the movie 2001. So I, I'm really a fan of the mid 20th century experiments with textural um, uh, sounds, both orchestral and vocal. And this piece really did a, a wonderful job using both.
By the way, I believe that was by um, Akiyuki Morimoto, who mm-hmm. is uh, could, uh, contributes a lot to this game. Yeah, one of the many uh, composers credited, uh, and a really diverse uh, group as well. Um, mm-hmm. You see yourself and Brian, as we mentioned. Uh, and uh, yeah, so the Go Tell on Roadie is your first ever video game composition, as I understand it. First and only so far. Is it? Is, and it's not something that you'd kind of, was it something you'd angled towards before? Or this was the first time that your agent said, hey, you know, this, this opportunity is here? Well, there is a, a story about uh, about Cole Porter where he was asked by a reporter, what inspires you to write a song? And he says, a call for my agent. <laughs> and, and so this was definitely the case. I, I mean, uh, I am delighted to have had the opportunity. And uh, I, I believe the reason they, were, they became interested in me besides Koyo's efforts uh, or in line with them is that I had produced a version of Everybody Wants to Rule the World right. um, that yeah. was sung by Lord a few years ago. And that was originally for a trailer. And trailers I've done a little more work in than I have in uh, games. And uh, But interestingly enough, the trailer it was written for, they ended up not using it or written for, produced for, because it really is a song originally from Tears for Fears in the 80s. But their original version was happy and go lucky and bouncy and dancey. And um, it, Lucas Cantor and myself, Lucas was my former assistant, we restructured it so that uh, it would be dark and scary and low and so forth. And they had this unknown singer from New Zealand named Lord that they wanted to use. And uh, so uh, we recorded it and absolutely nothing happened. And then about six months later, uh, she had a contractual obligation. By then, and her career had blown up in the interim. Right. And she had a contractual obligation to uh, deliver something for Hunger Games Catching Fire. And so that the song was perfect for that. And then after it was used in the soundtrack for some Hunger Games, it got picked up all over the place, including... Uh, an Assassin's Unity trailer that it was a really wonderful use of the uh, song. Mm. And I think my guess is that that's really what made the Capcom people take a t- pay attention to me because they went, we want somebody who can do this with a traditional song the same way it was done with a pop song. Right. Um, and yes, we should say to listeners who aren't aware, you have uh, over 40 credits on the IMDb for uh, films mainly. Um, you've also got a history, uh, and I know you're not, and you're rightly not ashamed of this. You you created one of the uh, all-time earworms, uh, which our American listeners will be more familiar with because that that particular version of, of the Kit Kat commercial didn't make it over to these shores. But the, uh, the Give Me a Break jingle, that's your work? That is indeed. And in the American version of The Office, there's a wonderful send up of it. If people go to my website, uh, michaellevinemusic.com, and you follow through to the the links through to commercials, you'll hear the the little bit from The Office uh, in which he remembers the jingle, but he can't remember what the product is. It's it's very (laughs) funny. Um, but at any rate, the, the, yes, that, uh, is not played in the UK because the, the actual Kit Kat bar is 
sold by a different company in the yeah. UK. It's licensed to both of them. And both Hershey's in the United States and I forget. Nestle, maybe Nestle. Nestle, yeah. yeah. So they have their own uh, music and everything else. But in the United States, they've used that jingle for about almost closing in on 30 years now. Goodness. Uh, but you don't get a dollar every time it's used, presumably. Well, I get something because oh, it okay. is, um, it, I get what are called um, PRO rights. That's a, that's a, the Performing Rights Organization, yeah, ASCAP sure. in the United States and PRS in, in the UK. And um, uh, they are uh, – they have generally been very good about making sure that when it does get performed that I get something. It's not a fortune, but it's – you know, it's nice. That's excellent. So how long did it take? Do you remember how long it took you to come up with that particular earworm jingle that has been, you know, helping pay the bills for 30 years? Well, we discussed it at the advertising agency and the, the music producer's office was on the third floor. And we kind of figured out what lyrics we wanted to use. The, the lyrics were written by a copywriter there named Ken Schuldman. Mm -hmm. And he'd give me a lot of lyrics. And I said, well, how about you know, and I pointed to what's actually in the song, which is just a tiny portion of what he'd written. And he says, yes. And I said, okay. Um, so I, uh, got into the elevator and by the time I got out on the first floor, it was complete. Okay. And that's worked out pretty well. That's not bad at all. Well, then I went home and, um, I, I'm a, one of the, I'm in the Guinness book of world records as the worst guitarist in the world. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, I am uh, not really the Guinness book, but in, in other words, I suck. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, but I do use the guitar as a compositional device yeah. and, uh, it felt like a guitar song to me. So I picked up the guitar and I sort of worked out a part for it. And I called up Ken. And I said, look, I got something for this. Um, and now I'm going to play it on guitar, but I, I'm a really terrible guitar player. Um, but, but I want you to listen to this because I really think this kind of captures what we were talking about in this. And I, I think this is working. So tell me what you think. So I played down the song and he says, you know, you're right. You really are a terrible guitar player. <laughs> That's First reaction ever to uh, the Kit Kat jingle, which is now in use nearly 30 years later. Wow. Oh, thanks a bunch for that uh, story. And yeah, I'm sure that's what you felt like saying to um, to him when he was insulting your guitar playing. Uh, should have brought the, the chioda in and played it on that. It would have been a very different sound, I imagine. Mm. <laughs> Um, so, uh, safe from music for Resident Evil is a real, uh, favorite thing of mine. Now I, I go back, uh, I, I played, uh, all the games in the series, go back to the mid nineties. It's been 21 years now since I first played the original Resident Evil. And I've always loved the safe, safe room, uh, music. So I, I wrote a, uh, a piece, uh, an article for our website about it a few years back. Um, just basically going through all the different safe room themes and, uh, and talking about how they have that fantastic effect of making you feel safe as uh, as in as in the um as as is the the clue is in the name but also that reminding you that um that danger still lurks outside every door so i was very pleased that uh uh Noni, i would guess is roughly the pronunciation um a capcom musician has come up with another uh, cracking safe room tune and you've brought that for us for uh, for this sound of play 
Yeah, I, I like it because of the sense, you know, the use of the backward sounds mm. really gives it um, uh, an atmospheric quality that is, number one, really great for a safe room. But considering how relentless and everything else is in the game, it's it's properly spooky, but not threatening. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's hear it. Safe Room from Resident Evil 7, Biohazard. Also known as Biohazard 7, Resident Evil superbly Capcom uh, kind of played around with the fact that the series has always been known as Biohazard in uh, Japan and always been known as Resident Evil in the West. And they gave us kind of both titles. And they also brilliantly, I think the typography on the game is superb. The uh, the use of the Roman numerals on Resident Evil 7 and the use of the number 7 in Biohazard. Very clever stuff. Uh, and I think that virtually all uh, our listeners who have played Resident Evil 7 and perhaps especially those who played Resident Evil 6 will um, consider this something of a return to form after a, after a disappointing instalment from, from 2012. 
so are you you said you're not that familiar or not so familiar with the, like the history of, of games music and stuff have you have you ever been much of a gamer yourself or are your kids into into the scene yeah, my son is uh, much more knowledgeable of, about this than I am, um, but uh, and has you know made some half-hearted attempts to educate me with right. you know, or no full-hearted, halfway successful attempts okay. to educate me. But I I will say that as a result of working on this game, yeah. I I decided to do a little research and and have and now understand that there is was this horror tradition in Resident Evil that they kind of got away from and, and right. went toward this more action oriented stuff yeah. and um and and that um i, I mean I, from what i understand it 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 actually from a just a mercantile viewpoint was successful it just just kind of disappointed the hardcore folks who felt like well that they that you know there's lots of other action games out here That's there's fair. one resident evil yeah. and so this return to form especially with the vr component which of course is enormously immersive uh is has made this game uh i think it, it it's it's warmed the cockles of the heart of the hardcore yeah, very much so, and uh, and you're uh, not that you weren't anyway with with the CV that you've got and the guy that you are. But does it make you a cooler dad in in the eyes of your son, having having made a Resident Evil song? Do you think? You know, I think that the concept of being a cool dad is a is one of those Sisyphusian tasks. It's it's <laughs> it, it's something that. Uh, do you have any children? No, I do not. No. Yeah, okay, well, uh, I can tell you, it's. It's one of those great goals that you will never actually achieve. I'm a cool uncle. That's easier. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a cool uncle. I'm right. Cool I, get, I get it. Yeah. Much harder to be a cool dad than to be a cool uncle. That Absolutely. that makes perfect sense. Probably impossible to be a cool dad. Even 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 having uh, done the arrangement for Spider Pig in the Simpsons movie, the choral version. Cool uncle, not cool dad. Right, <laughs> but that—that's true. That's you, right? The uh, the that famous Spider Pig song. Yes, yeah. It, it Hans. Uh, I was working for Hans Zimmer at the time on, on you know he, Hans tends to work with teams on his films, and um, you know I, 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 there's a lot of misunderstanding about that because he does really he he is a great visionary, and I have so much respect for Hans as somebody who really understands how to make story work, which is a lot of times I think his work is judged on the wrong criteria, which is, is it sophisticated music? It typically is not. It's beautifully produced, but yeah. it is, but it's major uh, virtue is that it makes the story work. And he is one of the, the greats in that regard. So, but having said that, um, it, what happened with spider pig was that we had, uh, we had a vocal session planned and there, they weren't doing very much. So it was, we were going to be spending thousands of dollars with people to come in and sing one little thing. And it just didn't make any sense. And he said, well, we need to, another piece. How about, what if you did a choir arrangement of that spider pig thing? Because <laughs> they, they, we, at that point, spider pig was a 
throwaway gag. Uh, the, the movie kept changing as we were working on the score. And it was a throwaway gag that was in the first act. And I said, okay, uh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, I'll, I'll do that. I said, what should it sound like? And Hans said, I don't know, uh, beautiful and not too long. So <laughs> that was it. And so I wrote it. And uh, there's somewhere there exists a demo of it with me singing all the parts, which is hilarious. And um, uh, the, but then we did it with a choir here in L.A. And uh, all the people from The Simpsons loved it and ended up being used a couple times in the film. And, and it became kind of a signature for the film. So I'm, I'm very proud of that association. Rightly so. Yeah, you got that whole Danny Elfman thing going down, which obviously he'd done the music for Sam Raimi's um spider-man film so that made perfect sense you know i didn't make that connection you know because but, but there is a danny elfman connection to the uh to do to, to the simpsons because he wrote the theme for the, the course yeah yeah classic right so uh next up um from this is from uh kind of the point where resident evil went uh more actiony uh to the chagrin of some of its fans but actually i really liked resident evil 5 i thought it was a, a fun game uh it didn't quite hit the heights of four which i you may have uh in your research found out that resident evil 4 is kind of widely considered one of video gaming's um action horror masterpieces mm -hmm. uh, Five had a co-op uh, theme, which uh, some people weren't too too happy about, because if you were playing solo, you had to kind of manage your AI uh, compatriot, which was not something that everybody wanted to do. But anyway, I thought it was a cool game and uh, and as always had some fantastic music. So you've chosen, uh, well, it's the main theme. It's called Prey. Uh, what is it about this that uh, tickled your fancy? Well, I thought it was a lovely tune, um, which was written by Kota Suzuki, um, and then um, it was uh, sung by, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce her name right, uh, Olimata Niang. I think uh, that's right. And um, it just was a, a really intriguing, distinctive tone. I, I, I love singers who don't sound like anybody else, and I don't think she sounded like anybody else, and um, uh, you know, I, I thought it was just an unusual approach.
So that was Prey by Kota Suzuki, with lyrics translated by Miguel Corti, as something he does. I looked him up. Uh, he translates stuff for Capcom. Uh, and uh, as we say, uh, vocals by Uli Martin Yang. And that's from 2009's Resident Evil 5. So next up is the much maligned uh, game, Resident Evil 6. But uh, just because the game itself wasn't that warmly received, of course, the composers going into it, uh, of which there are many, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those games where there are uh, six Japanese uh, composers attached to it. And we don't necessarily know who did what or whether they collaborated in every track. Um, but yeah, the soundtrack is as ever, you know, strong. And um, and again, Michael, you've picked the main theme from Resi 6. And uh, this one this one caught your ear? I, I kind of chose, chose it for this reason, which is that your job as somebody who writes music for stories is to make the story work. And this is uh, one of those plain sight secrets that uh, anyone who's experienced with film scoring, television scoring, game scoring will tell you. And uh, uh, I remember uh, Elmer Bernstein, great film composer, yeah. once said to me, uh, let me tell you a, a dirty little secret, kid. We're not really, yeah, because he called me kid. Uh, we're, we're, we're not really composers. We're dramatists. And I, I thought it was a, it was a, a great description it's and so from my understanding of what re6 is because it had this more action-oriented thing i thought it was an interesting contrast to the kind of stuff we did with with re7 mm. and so um uh that's why i chose it and 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 it because the idea is story drives the music not the other way around
that was the main theme from Resident Evil 6. Credited for that are Wataru Hachisako, Akihiko Narita, Yasuyuki Tsujino, uh, Azusa Kato, Kota Suzuki, and uh, Akiyuki Morimoto, who uh, is still there on 7, I believe. Yes. Um, now, uh, I also noticed uh, while scanning, scouring, and researching your, your IMDb that uh, you've also managed to uh, appear in a couple of movies playing uh, playing a violinist a fiddler uh, as, as, so i guess like for pirates of the caribbean you got all made up for your your big scene <laughs> that's true well that was a hans idea um uh, uh there is a scene in in uh the bar in tortuga where there's a big fist fight that breaks out and um it, there's a sword fight that breaks out followed by a fist fight and yeah. Uh, but so, and the joke is that there's this band playing this nice little sort of sea shanty music. Uh, and, uh, once the fight breaks out the band, rather than running for their lives, which would have been the intelligent thing to do, just starts playing faster. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, he actually had, uh, uh, Jimmy Levine and myself and Craig Eastman, all of whom played on the soundtrack. Uh, and I believe we all played on the music that you actually hear, although we're play syncing to picture. Yeah. Um, and um, we had, I think we recorded the, just the day before. And then we uh, came to the set and actually spent a couple of days on set because mm. this was a complicated scene. They had to shoot and reshoot. And uh, we all got to dress in, in crazy wigs and wear pirate clothes. And, that sounds awesome. Uh, but the part they didn't tell us about was that Gore Verbinski, who uh, was the director and is kind of a practical joker, right. decided that it should include a food fight. And he, oh. they neglected to mention that it was going to include real food. <laughs> so um, now, fortunately, I had a prop violin. It was not my own violin. But at one point in one of the takes you don't see – uh, a flying piece of bread actually got lodged underneath the strings of my uh, violin, between the strings and the and the face of the violin. I'm no musician, but I'm going to say that probably makes it makes it hard to play. It it does. Fortunately, we were playing along to a pre-recorded track, so I don't think anyone noticed. No one was any the wiser. But do you you enjoy that it's kind of you know the whole dress up and kind of performing act acting thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I was, if you'd asked me at the age of 12 whether I was more likely to be a playwright or a composer, I would have said playwright. I, okay. I wrote plays and I acted and I did all of this stuff as a kid. And I think that by the time I was in my um, mid-teens, it became clear to me that I was going to meet a lot more girls if I played in the rock band. And so, uh, which was oddly enough, a very important, um, priority for me. Often, so, um, it, 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 uh, but it, it was kind of the theater of the day. Um, and so I, I shifted my allegiances, but I, I did indeed always have a, an exhibitionistic streak. That's good to know. Uh, yeah, you don't become a kind of rock violinist without at least having that, that kind of tickling away at you the idea that of getting up on stage and uh, sh uh throwing a few violin shapes i'm thinking of classic uh rock violinists like um hmm, classic rock violinists i'm struggling now there are well, many. yeah i would say that uh 
the you know the Jerry Goodman from uh, the Flock, and then later uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra interest interest was somebody who really interested me. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Jean-Luc Ponty was famous, although I wouldn't say his style interested me. But as a whole, I was much more in, uh, influenced by guitar players. Um, mm. and, and a lot of what I tried to do was borrowed from people like uh, Jeff Beck, for example, or Randy right. California from Spirit, who is kind of forgotten now other than, you know, he wrote this piece that somebody's suing the Led Zeppelin for. Mm. Uh, but a uh, wonderful player. Um, and, and Hendrix, of course, I mean, Hendrix, it's kind of was such a genius and such a giant. It's kind of hard to not be influenced by Hendrix in the same way that it's kind of hard to play the saxophone and not be influenced by Charlie Parker. But uh, I think that I probably borrowed more from the vocabulary of other players than Hendrix. But when people would describe my playing because I had a I yeah. used distortion and delay and a wah wah. Right that they would say the Jimi Hendrix of the violin just because, you know, it was a way of communicating that I wasn't tame. And again, you see, I'm you know, maybe, maybe cool dad is impossible to achieve, but, um, but I'm going to say that's pretty cool. So in your duties, uh, uh, doing PR for, uh, Resident Evil seven and, and, and your music, um, have you spent any time playing, Resident Evil 7 in virtual reality on PSVR or whatever? I should have a really good lie prepared, but the answer is no. I have, oh. not, I have not played the game in VR. And, Neither uh, have I. So. Uh, and I, am, I understand it's awesome. I yes. talked to a number of people who have, but um, no, I haven't. Oh. Well, this uh, ne next piece of music will uh, only be familiar to those people, and, and it is still a small percentage at this point, uh, people who have uh, virtual reality headsets at home um, for, uh, for to play Resident Evil 7. And yes, um, speaking from my, as my uh, gaming commentator point of view, Resident Evil 7 is kind of an important game in that it is helping to uh, get VR you know, back uh, something that's considered kind of uh, a worthwhile investment. Um, and Resident Evil 7 has definitely played a part in that because the word of mouth regarding playing it uh, in that in that way has been has been so strong and obviously it's a it's a potent and powerful experience even just playing it on a regular old tv um but to to fully immerse must be something else but uh, this piece uh by Akiyuki Morimoto is uh is there for uh, the tutorial to t tell people how to uh, get around their their newfound environs in virtual reality. Clearly, Akiyuki Morimoto has um, had a tremendous impact on the series as a whole and uh, without question uh, is kind of the soul of uh, the series, musically speaking, and really understands what story it is that he's, it needs to be told.
So that's the VR tutorial from Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. Uh, and if you've heard that in your uh, playing sessions, listeners, uh, that means you've probably got virtual reality and I'm a bit jealous. Someday, someday. Uh, now, this next one uh, brings back terrible things uh, Fearsome memories for me. This actually, <laughs> this does have genuine um, Pavlovian effect in that uh, I, I played this game back in 1999 when it came out, possibly 2000, after it had been a, around a little while. Uh, now, um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the nemesis, the Resident Evil 3 nemesis, uh, Enemy. Uh, he's a giant uh, kind of figure in in a, in a kind of black shiny uh, coat, and he's got a kind of stretched back face. He's hideous. Let's put it that way. He's hideous and muscly, and he relentlessly follows you throughout the entire course of your Resident Evil Three adventure. Um, it's it's horrific, but brilliant. And this piece of music that you've chosen is his theme so uh, this one stood out to you as well as those of us who who endured nemesis back in the day yeah i, I thought it, it was it from what i un understood of it and of course i've seen the pictures of of uh nemesis sure um it, but i haven't uh, i haven't actually played the game but it struck me that yeah that, that once again in terms of understanding what the story's about that this did a great job So I can't hear that, the Nemesis theme there by uh, Masami Ueda and Saori Maeda, excuse me, uh, without hearing the Nemesis himself doing his thing, which I can't really do, but it's something along the lines <laughs> of stars. Uh, he's no, like, no, why don't these guys ever have high pitched voices? They all, they're always down here. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, often I, think that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, what if they sounded like this? I guess they wouldn't be as scary. It's true. There is one. There is. There is one guy in Resident Evil Four called Salazar who is a strange, diminutive, um, sort of childlike uh, figure who who does kind of have a little squeaky voice, and he's really creepy. So, so, but Ooh, yes, but by, by and large, by and large, uh, yeah. The 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 deeper the voice, the badder the baddie. That's uh, he's that's, the he's the guy who has the uh, uh, the the the, the three-pointed hat, right? That's that right, the, the tricorn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Probably so, like the one you wore in in uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, they didn't give me a hat, but I would have. Oh, 
Oh, tricorn. I suppose it'd get in the way of your bowing action, mightn't it? If you... Yeah, it could Practicalities. be. Practicalities. Yeah. <laughs> now, this next one's an interesting one, also from the Resident Evil 7 soundtrack. Uh, so this is uh, a piece of music in the style of a rock band. Uh, so the, the, the fictional band, the Sewer Gators, uh, and the song is Sacrifice, and this is composed by Satoshi Hori. So what was it that uh, that made you? Well, uh, it just it, it, well, what I like about it is that it's it's kind of uh, not what you're going to in the context of everything else you don't expect it, and yet it still seems in keeping with what the story is. And so uh, I thought it was a very clever change of pace. There's a, there's quite a history of uh, which I won't bore you with, but there's quite a history of uh, sort of um, fake bands uh, in in games, uh, also particularly in horror themed games as well as as uh, a series of games called Left for Dead, and uh, and another game called Alan Wake, and they both have kind of fictional bands in that that where where their music uh, is kind of uh, interwoven with the mythos and and the narrative, which uh, which I think is it's, it's always evocative for some reason. Well, well, has anybody ever taken these bands and then formed a band in real life? I mean, like Spinal Tap, you know, which was a pair uh, and, and they started. Yeah, I think the one in Alan Wake was performed by an actual band with a different name. So they kind of exist in a in a sort of alternate reality kind of way, which I like. Yeah. Monkeys are the perfect oh, yeah. You know, the monkeys started yeah. out the television show and then became a band. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a sitcom basically that that now yeah and that like their new album came out last year and i know my, my couple of friends of mine have a a, a fairly uh, well known um british independent music website called neon filler and uh, the monkeys last album most recent album was was their album of the year last year oh that's great is, yeah. well peter peter tork is a friend of mine who's uh, huh. you know plays bass in that band although he's you know peter plays a little of everything he's a a very fine musician and um he uh, uh he and i actually wrote a song for that album but it didn't get used so oh uh, wow I'm, I'm i'm disappointed because uh it would have been fun to have something on that album it it um uh was there was a sort of very specific uh, concept as to what they wanted and this didn't quite fit into it so that's oh. uh but but still we've got that song maybe we'll use it for something else I, 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 Peter Tork has the interesting distinction of having more albums that are titled by songs that I wrote than I have albums titled by songs I wrote. Oh, okay. That's amazing. Okay. So, um, my, my friend Dorian, who, who's one of the guys who runs that site is going to absolutely freak that I've, oh. uh, I've spent an hour in, in the company of, of, uh, somebody who knows Peter Tork and works with Peter Tork cause he's well, a, he's a lifelong monkeys obsessive. Well, they, the Monkeys years ago, when, when I was still a youth, covered a song of mine called Things Are Much Better Since You Went Away. And uh, oh, wow. that's actually how I met Peter. But um, then um, uh, Peter also, in one of his own albums, covered um, a song of mine called Saved by the Blues. And the, the Monkeys sometimes perform that song. That's amazing. So, uh, Dorian, hello. I know you listen sometimes and you'll definitely listen to this one. Uh, so, yeah, this is Michael Levine, uh, my new friend who uh, <laughs> who's written with the monkeys, basically. Uh, so, yeah. How do you like them apples, Dorian? Uh, no, he's going to love it. And listeners, remember, please venture over to our forum at canorince.com slash forum or Twitter or Facebook. Uh, use the hashtag sound of play and we do take requests normally except as you know by now when we have composers on they get to choose all the music because they're special wow. uh, continue to request your favorites other uh, curios and oddities from the history of the medium of video games and we'll continue to include a selection in uh, in most sound of play shows please give us a review or a rating on itunes subscribe of course we also have a patreon that you can donate to patreon.com slash cane and rinse and all of the money there, a dollar a month or whatever you think, whatever you can afford, goes back into making all these shows for your listening pleasure. So before we hear about the uh, the last number that uh, Michael's brought for us, uh, well, I want to thank you so much for coming on and being such a fantastic guest. Uh, so many stories to tell from uh, from an amazing career, frankly, and plenty more to come, no doubt. Um other than obviously go tell aunt roadie which uh, listeners are, are very familiar with um do you have anything else that you want to kind of point them towards well um Mar mariana barreto otherwise known as mari um yeah. and uh i have a little outfit called samira and the wind and this we just finished an ep it's available on spotify and itunes and everything else it's samira sam S-A-M-I-R-A, -A, which is her middle name. And the wind is a little joke about my name because Levine, Levin, the wind. And um, uh, so uh, it's uh, I'm quite proud of that music. Um, I uh, have 
there's a number of film scores that I've got out there. The best way to, if, if you're, if after all this you haven't had enough of Michael Levine, you can go to michaellevinemusic.com and see all sorts of amusing and useless information. And some of it might really actually be fun. Uh, so th- that would be my recommendation. That's brilliant. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So speaking of uh, your daughter, I was going to say, so where did you find this vocalist uh, for the original version uh, of, uh, of Go Tell Out Roadie? Yes, yes, he was so hard to find. You know, um, Mari is um, has worked with me for now a number of years. She sang the original demo for the Lord Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and there's I a see. Funny, okay. funny story about that because the at the time the only recording I had of of uh, Ella Yelchin, who's Lord, was uh, Royals, which I didn't realize was kind of an outlier tune for her because it's a, it's a you know fun little girly tune and. Um, I thought, well, she's got a typical woman's range. So I put the song in a, in a, in what I thought was a good key for a typical woman's range singer. And, mm. and Mari has a, a fairly, you know, she's sort of a classic second soprano. And, um, so, uh, at the time Lord was in New Zealand and we had to get this done over a weekend. Uh, and so we sent it to her and it came back and she sang it an octave lower than where, Mari had sung it. And for a moment, I was completely panicked and went, oh, my God, and then went, oh, actually, this is so cool. <laughs> so, uh, Mari actually sang all the background vocals and, to my knowledge, is the only person other than Lord to have sung background vocals on a Lord record to this day. Uh, but she ended up doing uh, – she sings all the background vocals on – uh, Rody and did the initial demos, and um, uh, you you'll hear us trying to to make her sound a little scarier than she truly is. She, she mm-hmm. I, I think her angelic qualities can't help but come through, and we we needed the kick ass of of Jordan to actually finally get it to the the edginess that it it needed. But I'm delighted with um, what Mari's version was in terms of. It being a, at this point, it was a more musical approach than the sound design, the all sound design we ended up with. And it, and for those who are into the game, it has more lyrics because mm. um, there was, I was telling more of the story, but uh, we eventually got rid of half of each verse because it just it kind of went on and on. So with that, I recommend MichaelLevineMusic.com and Samira and the Wind. Um, well, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I'm really looking forward to everybody now hearing this uh, unreleased extended version, uh, it, a real treat of Go Tell Aunt Rody from Resident Evil 7. Until next time. Terrific. Thanks much. Raised in a deep dark hole, a 
prisoner with no parole They locked me up and took my soul Ashamed of what they made Raised apart and so alone I dreamed of family of my own I escaped and now they know they should be Arms outstretched when she's done. 